right, here we go. Snow Jobs Nation. Episode 15 of the Snow Jobs Podcast Dusting Series is coming at you. As always, I'm Steve. Talk to the juice box guy. That's right. And I'm joined as always by my co-host, the main man, Rick James of Snow Management. I'm one of the baddest motherfuckers of all time. One of the best singers, one of the best looking motherfuckers you've ever seen. Hold my drink, bitch. That's right, Mr. Jeremy Lindstrom of Glacier Snow Management Fargo. What's up? Jeremy, how are we? We are doing good. We are doing really good. We got our first push in this week already. Sweet. Got uh, what a half an inch? Build everybody for twelve hours. No, it was it was almost <laughs> full inch. Come on now. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Lots of wind. Oh, lots man. of wind. That's it. Well, we didn't get we got five flakes for about thirteen minutes the other night, and that was about it. So uh Weather Pros was right on the ball with that one. They said maybe a couple flakes, no problem. So one for one, right out of the gate. Weather Rock showed snow on the rocks, so we went up and pushed it. There you go. There you go. So, gang, as is the case now on our Dustings episode, we are joined by the big dog himself, Mr. Liquids, Mr. Industry Icon, Jordan Smith. Jordan, how are we tonight? It's a strong intro, Steve, but I, 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 gotta I, get I appreciate it. Bite. What do you, you want? Gotta you got to get something. We got to find a soundbite. You know, Adam Hansen from our team would be the guy to pick that soundbite. He's really good with that Adam. stuff. Yeah, we gotta you gotta consult Adam. He'll he'll get you set up just like you did with the fat head picture. He'll get you That's set it. up with the sound bite too. He, no, he didn't give me anything. I don't know where he those didn't? pictures those were anonymously sent to the Snow Jobs podcast. I don't know where they came oh, from. Boy, that's I don't scary. Know. There's there's a lot there's sources out there. I can't give up my sources. They were anonymous. I'm worried to sent. know what else you're gonna find. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, welcome back, Jordan. It's always good to have you, and you always have great topics for us to kick around. So let's just get right into it. What do you have for us to talk about tonight? Yeah, so one of the things that we're getting a lot of calls on, and we we always do, but especially, um, I'd say this time of year, we're, we're a little bit past uh, the prime time for these calls, but especially in September and October, we get a lot of calls, people asking, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this site, you know, what kind of equipment do I need on there? Um, you know, what size plows, how many plows, how many loaders, um, can I do this with a truck? You know, we, we get these questions a lot and not to, uh, not to sales pitch our team, but our team all comes from snow industry experience and background. You know, we're, we're all guys that plow snow or have plowed snow. So I'm not saying we're the foremost experts. There's plenty of guys out there smarter than us, but we've done it enough and we've worked with enough companies in, in enough different climate regions that we have a good feel for at least getting a baseline. So, kind of wanted to just talk through some of the factors that go into how to select equipment for a site or for a route. And some of this stuff is, is pretty rudimentary, you know, so experienced guys out there, you might roll your eyes and go, well, obviously that's obvious, but you know, we have all different skill levels of people on here. You know, we, we got guys that are in their first year um, with their first truck. We got guys that, that have fleets of, of, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 plus loaders. So we're all from different backgrounds, but Kind of just a crash course on all of the different factors to consider, uh, you know, when trying to figure out how to equip a site. Sweet. Um, so that's what I want to go through. Sounds good. Let's do it. So I'm kind of going to rattle through stuff. Feel free to interject, guys, as we go. Okay. Um, you bet. But, but anytime someone calls, one of the first things we look at is what type of site they're, they're going to be working on. So there's there's three primary types of work sites, and I'm I'm focusing mostly on commercial here. I think residential kind of speaks for itself, and truthfully, mm-hmm. I'm not the expert there. Um, just just to get it out of the way, we used to do a lot of driveways, all HOAs, and we did them with 
hybrid snowblowers on the back of tractors. I thought that was a great way to go. Um, driveways over 40 feet long. The blowers are more efficient. Driveways under 30 feet long. You lost some efficiency because yep. it's not as long of a back drag with the plow. But again, not the foremost expert there. So I'm going to, for the sake of this, I'm going to focus on commercial because honestly, the calls we get are 95% about how to handle commercial sites. And when people ask residential, I tell them, you know, we used to use these blowers. We loved them uh, for shorter driveways. Back dragging is more efficient. And that's about it. So going to focus on commercial here. Um, so three basic site types that we experience. Number one is going to be like your industrial distribution manufacturing type facility. So these are going to usually be larger sites. Um, I don't, I tried to find numbers online, what the average size is. Um, I, I swore I found it in one of our previous episodes, but, um, it seems like maybe that 700,000 to, to 1 million square foot range is pretty typical for, yeah. These 24-7 industrial distribution centers, um, uh, manufacturing facilities. So that's one type of site. Uh, and, and these sites require typically the highest amount of iron allocation in order to service them properly. Um, A, because they're 24-7 sites. B, because they're moving millions and millions of dollars of product through those sites. And one stuck oh, yeah. vehicle or truck may cost literally tens of thousands, uh, tens of, thousands of dollars in lost productivity. So these are incredibly vital sites to have proper allocation of iron and equipment on these sites. These are also typically the type of sites where you're going to dedicate fleet to the sites, right? So a lot of times retail, um, with the exception of you know large malls, are not going to dictate that you actually dedicate fleet, park it on the site, and leave it there all year. Um, but with these industrial type sites, you typically will. So then the next type of site, as I alluded to, is, is retail. So retail is going to be anything from your big box store to your shopping mall, um, all the way down to your, you know, your bank or your attorney's office or a strip mall, whatever the case may be. Uh, these are typically not 24-7 sites with rare exception. Uh, these mm -hmm. are going to be smaller lots typically, again, with the exception of like, you know, you see some of these shopping malls with 20, 30, 40 acre parking lots. Um, but for the most part, you're talking about, you know, two to seven acre type sites, um, you know, for big box stores and and maybe uh a quarter acre uh, up to an acre for for smaller shopping centers and yep. then the last type of site uh, we talk about is going to be like your corporate campus or medical so it's kind of your intermediate uh, some of these things can be absolutely massive uh, but it's a different type of site than industrial they can be as big as an industrial site but they typically have normal hours of operation you know maybe it's 7 a.m till 5 p.m or something like that um, and while they can be large sites, again, we're not we're not flowing the same type of vital traffic carrying millions of dollars of cargo through it. So if you have a, a failure, not that we won't have failures, it's not quite as uh, detrimental to the performance of the site. A little bit so different. We'll if get Karen to what all this means in a little bit. Let's go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say it's a little bit different ballgame. If Karen can't get to her latte and clogs up the parking lot, that's a little bit different than a truck with $150,000 worth of merchandise that blocks the entrance and prevents the other 15 trucks from staying on schedule. That's kind of a cancellation of contracts right, right there. Absolutely right. Yeah, and that and that's where anytime I see uh, someone getting into these type of industrial distribution sites for the first time, you know, we're always really cautious to – to make sure they know what they're getting into. It's 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 definitely not the same as plowing retail. You have a failure on a retail site and yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get chewed out, but it's not the same level of potential liability you might be facing if you do the same thing at a distribution center um, oh, yeah. or a, a manufacturing facility. So then the next thing I've already talked about a little bit, but what what you know, what kind of hours of operation do these things run? 
So most of these distribution large manufacturing facilities are 24 seven. That means not only are you servicing around the clock, it also means that you're going to have traffic constantly, meaning you never get, you know, just a free and clear shot at clearing the site. There's always trucks moving, they're in your way, they're driving where you wanna plow, they're parking where you wanna plow. Um, you know, when you want trucks to move so you can plow a spot, they're sitting there forever because they're, they're, you know, they hit their hours for driving, whatever the case may be. There's a lot less predictability to servicing a site like that. Um, whereas with retail, you know, again, typically you're going to be maybe six to five or eight to five, or maybe it's a big box store. It's open 9am to 10pm, but at least you have operating hours in which, uh, you know, that you're going to have some reprieve from that traffic where you can just wait for the cars to leave, get the site cleared, get the site salted and you're done. So there's a, a huge difference there, um, in terms of the way you're going to service and the speed at which you can service just because of the operating hours of the site. And then again, you have your medical or, or corporate campus. Um, you know, typically speaking, medical is going to have some traffic 24 seven, but the highest volume is going to be during the daytime with only maybe the emergency or urgent care areas of these medical centers being um, trafficked at night, usually at a lower rate. Um, so th those I'd kind of put between industrial and retail in terms of serviceability and uh, speed of service. Yep. My guy, we do some medical or some hospitals and my guys love shift change. Oh yeah, everybody pours <laughs> out of the mm -hmm. building. <laughs> no, yeah. they, just, they just like to look at the nurses. So. Oh well, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'll tell you, know, you, kind of putting some some numbers. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say the other big problem the uh, the two years that I actually plowed a, a large industrial, uh, it's really really big. We've talked about it before. Do you, you ever see the ones that are so big they have tugs? So when a when a trailer's loaded at the loading dock, they pull. They got a hundred loading docks down the side of the building. When the trailer's loaded, they actually have a tug that will pull that trailer out away from the building because it doesn't have its tractor yet. The tractor's coming from somewhere else, and they in doubt undoubtedly always put it right where you're going to the pile. Like, oh, this lane's clear. I'll yep. put the trailer right here, and the tugs just leave it. Now you got to go around them, and there's yep. no rhyme or reason to it. It's a real headache. Oh yeah, and I think that that really proves the point I'm trying to make here. That's that's a good call. Um, the the sites are the people that work on the those sites are only employed to create the most efficient operation for themselves. They are not there to, to create conveniences <laughs> for you. Yep. So you have to deal with that, and that's what you're being paid to do. And that's why those type of sites typically pay the highest rates uh, on a per square foot basis compared to the others. Is just because the level of service expected is high and the difficulty of providing that service is also um, difficult or, or, or high, I should say. So to put a quick number to that, um, you know, when the customers we've worked with, um, you know, both customers we've helped get set up on these type of sites, but also ones who've been doing it for many years, we're typically going to see one and a half to two times the iron allocation. So the loaders, trucks, fleet allocation to an industrial type site compared to retail. So okay. if you're specking out a, a 10 acre retail versus a 10 acre uh, distribution center, in order to provide the level of service that they probably expect, you're, you're probably looking at one and a half to two times the amount of iron to do that. And Jeremy, I don't know, you do a lot of this stuff. So I don't know if that's that meets your experience, but that's I kind of look through a lot of our old records and that's pretty consistently what we've come up with. Yeah, we definitely we got some bigger distribution and yeah, we put a lot of iron on them. But yeah. One thing about those guys, like those truckers and stuff, they're there. Yeah, they're there to do their job, but, you know, they they really appreciate if we clear snow for them. I mean, they're, you know, a lot oh, of yeah. these guys are not from this 
area, so they don't know what's going, <laughs> what's yeah. going on. But yeah, they're they'll, they're pretty appreciative. You get her clean for them in a hurry. So you, best thing is exactly. to get them in and out because once you get truck stuck, you're you're in for a long night. Right. That that is probably a good differentiator too. Is you you don't instead of dealing with a, a Karen, you're probably going to deal with an appreciative truck driver. So that's a nice consolation prize. But yeah, the expectations yeah. are high. Jeremy, do you have do you have dedicated equipment on some large distribution sites, or you're all route work? No, we're all route work. We, I mean, we have we have some guy. We have some big warehouses we do industrial park, and we just have a couple teams that just hit them. I mean, they're just bounced between the two three sites. But that, yeah. got it. So they're in a yeah. tight area, and they just yeah, bounce around it's a basically. tight area. So gotcha. but, you know, there's there's about six, seven, eight pieces there they can use. So so I don't know. Very they're cool. all big loaders, so we can get a lot done in a hurry. Nice. And then just to round that part of the topic out, you know, typically what we'll see is that medical type facilities are going to fall somewhere between the retail and the industrial. So, you know, if, if industrial is two X of retail, then let's just, let's just say that the medical is one and a half and, and, and there's a sliding range there, but these are just general rules of thumb, you know, just ways to think about things. Every situation is different. And that's the whole point of this uh, episode is to talk about all the differences and how every situation is different. So then the next thing um, talk about different is, is where's the business operating? What is the climate type? Every climate area in the snow belt is, is different and that requires a different level of equipment of that site. So starting with the most populated areas, the North, Northeast and Mid-Atlantic, um, we talk a lot on these uh, episodes about Nor'easters and uh, these, these events that don't happen every year, but when they do, it cripples the entire region for days and days and days. Yep. And despite the fact that these things don't happen every year, if you want to be a quality contractor that maintains a good name, you have to equip your sites uh, to be prepared for those type of events. Because all it takes, you know, you might you might skate along with half the iron that you need on an industrial site for five years, and then you get a 30-inch nor'easter that lasts for four days. And that's that one event is all it takes to ruin your reputation for the rest of your company's lifespan. Amen. Because a site gets locked down, that property manager talks to 10 others and you, you never get hired again, even though you've yep. been good for five years because the weather has allowed you to be good. Exactly. So, that's exactly that's, right. That's a great point. It, it wasn't that you were good. It was that the winter allowed you to look good. Now your reputation right. is, well, you know what? It wasn't so much their their work. They didn't do great work. The weather just made them look better than they were. Yep. That's, that's honestly what we kind of gear up for here is, I mean, we can, we can knock out this little ones, but we're we're geared up for the, if we get that nasty one, we can really shine. I mean, that's yeah. why we have all this big iron and blower oh, and yeah. stuff where we'll come in and nothing scares us, honestly. I spend way too much money preparing for those 30 inch nor'easters that come once every four or five years. That it's, but I always prepare for the worst and then I'm never surprised by it. But the, the beauty of that is, is that is how, I mean, that's kind of the bar we want to set, right? It's a lot of what we talk about on, on these episodes and, and, in all the webinars and everything else, like the problem in the industry is that we've somehow accepted a world in which we're preparing for, we're preparing for, you know, only 50% of the events and the other 50% we're just kind of fighting through yep. and that's somehow become acceptable. And that's what drags pricing down. Um, besides people that just don't know how to bid sites, you know, that's, that's one of the things that drags pricing down is people that are willing yep. to provide mediocre service. If, if we, uh, you know, we talk about this being an emergency service, 
you're not going to you're not going to set up a fire truck with a half size tank to save a few bucks just, you know, because you might save a few bucks and not every fire needs a, a you know, full size tank, right? You're going to put the biggest tank you can on that thing to make sure you're prepared for all situations. So, good analogy same thing here. We got to prepare for everything. I, I just, you know, you're the fire guy, so I figured I'd throw it in there. That um, there there is a rumor to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so then, you know, I would I would sorry, go ahead, Steve. No, I was just going to say, like, you, you made a good point there that you, you got to prepare and spend money for the worst case scenario to cover 95% of the storms, not just 50. But how are guys doing that? When most of these industrial sites that you're speaking of, what percentage would you say of these industrials across the country are held by national property management companies? Yeah, I, I don't know the percentage um, for sure, but it, it feels like probably 60 or 70% of them are. So if they're all lowballing, how are guys supposed to spend money preparing like for the worst case scenario when they're already taking 40% off the top? That's that's the tough call. It's it's a great question and it's again it's it's that's the problem is is yeah. that is that they're they're not. The pricing is not sufficient to provide that level of service. I, I see comments on on LinkedIn and on Facebook and Facebook groups and People saying like, oh, why do you have five loaders on that site? You know, I could do that thing with two. Well, yeah, you could do it with two when there's four <laughs> inches of snow. It's no problem. Yes. You absolutely can. But you get that 30 incher and you're toast. It's not Amen. happening. And 100%. and again, I, I understand it doesn't happen every year. And that does make people, sometimes people get lucky and it, it makes them some money for a few years. But what it really does is it drags down the market and it, it puts us all in a position to to not be able to handle those situations. It does. So, absolutely. And and I know it's never going to happen where everyone's going to think this way, but you know, if everyone prepared for at least the 90th percentile, I think that would be acceptable. Um, and in that 10th percentile, they're not going to fail. They're just going to be a little bit slower than they should. Yeah, right. But I, I would tend to agree. Anyone working for a national um, is probably performing at the 30 to 40th percentile. And that, that means you're doing bad more than you're doing good. And that's, that's, yeah. that's bad. <laughs> that's absolutely that's really bad. Oh yeah. That's a tough thing. Hmm. So back to those regions. So I was talking about the the nor'easters, north northeast mid Atlantic. Um, I would equate lake effect areas to be similar. You know, you get these big snow dumps, and 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 I would say even in lake effect areas, it's more common. Um, but what we also see in lake effect areas is is the people there are so accustomed to heavy snow that the tolerance for mediocre service is higher. You know we. It's at Storm and VSI, we sell these these high end expensive products, and people are like, oh, you must be huge in, in Rochester and Buffalo, New York, and all the you know they name all these places that get 100, 200, 300 inches of snow. And um, the truth is, we're not. We have very few customers in those markets because they're they're okay with. I'm not going to say mediocrity because there's some great contractors there, but they because they get so much snow so consistently um the population base has gotten used to that and you know you look at the distribution centers there and the, the truckers literally have chains on their tires um and it doesn't mean they can get through anything but it means they can get through a lot more than someone in eastern pennsylvania because they're prepared for that type of weather 100 they'll put up with more obviously they'll put up with more you know correct yep it's just typical exactly so then moving on to uh, my part of the country, the Midwest and the Great Plains. So we don't get anything that would be dubbed a nor'easter, but what we do get um, is, is, is we do get some big snowfalls. It definitely does happen. But as we talk about all the time, we get a lot of wind. So in the Midwest and Great Plains, we'll, we'll get 
I'd say on a fairly consistent basis, a six to six to nine inch snowfall is not uncommon. Um, and what's also not uncommon is 40 to 50 mile an hour winds that follow those storms up. A six to nine inch storm with 40 to 50 winds, uh, it plows about like a 30 inch storm because we're pushing the same snow three to four to five times or even more, depending on how long that wind is sustained. You're right. And again, this is where at least I, you know, being in the Midwest, is it's where we see frequent failures is they can handle the the two, four, six inches of powder snow and no wind, no problem. Um, the wind picks up, get a little bit more snow, get a longer sustained event. And next thing you know, there are four foot snow drifts across every entryway to every parking lot in town because they don't have the heavy iron because they're plowing everything with pickup trucks. Yep. I mean, and it's rock it solid. blows my mind how many people are still only using trucks in this market. Um, and I understand why, it's, you know, they probably do construction or paving or landscaping in the summer and that's what they own. So they put plows mm -hmm. on it and it works fine for that powder snow. You can push a lot of powder snow with a truck. But you get those four or five foot snowdrifts, you're not you're not going to budge them. It just isn't going to happen unless you're Jeremy and a you know pro in a plow truck and can outplow uh, Mitch Mullard's guys in a metal plus, right? Yeah. You know, you're just you're just not yeah, going right. to do that it. That is the rumor. That, that's not that's that's a fact. That's not a rumor. Oh, that's a fact. <laughs> uh, hey, that Mitchell even agrees there. You can't even. That's a fact. That's crazy. Yo, the truck must be just destroyed. Rocco. Uh, Rocco from Vision Lawns up in Buffalo. We talked to him in episode two about the uh, Buffalo big blizzard they had last year with whatever, six, seven feet of snow. Uh, and he said the same thing. Like he got contracts off of the guys that had trucks that literally were dead. They couldn't do anything with the trucks. So he picked up work, you know, because he had loaders. He had skid steers. You know, he had iron to throw at this thing. The trucks were useless. You couldn't even move them. Yep. So, you know, definitely yes, helps to have iron. You definitely need these big storms to kind of, I don't want to say knock the smaller guys out, but, you know, if they're taking out accounts they probably shouldn't have, you know? You know yeah, yep. they're, they're uh, Darwin events, I mean, basically. They thin the herd. I mean, they, they no, that's what they do. The big storms yeah. thin the herd. They, they're Darwinism oh, yeah. For, yeah. for snow contractors. They, they thin guys out that, that don't, aren't equipped properly mentally or equipment-wise to deal with, you know, monsters like that. There were guys that quit. Like we got that 30 incher over 20, I think it was 27 or 28 hours uh, four years ago. There were guys that flat out did not show up. Like there was 30 inches of snow on some of the lots and they just said, we, we can't do it. Yep. So it's that, that's a big, uh, that's a big opportunity, big, you know, advertisement for your business right there. If you can handle right. that and look like an all-star. Well, and I would agree with Jeremy. I, I don't think, you know, I would, I would never want to, push anyone out who wants to get into snow because I started with a single truck and whatever. But I think it is knowing your place and what you can handle. And I think another huge issue with nationals uh, and brokers is they get these big sites, you know, even even a big box store. Like you can't plow a 10 acre big box store with two with two plow trucks properly. You can't do it. But it is what you see 70 percent of the time because a 10 acre site offered by a national, they, they pay 30 grand a year, including salt. If so like, what are you supposed to put on that site? Yeah. Exactly. What are you supposed to put on there? Um, so that's definitely part of the problem. And I, I don't think these guys should, should be pushed out. I, I think they're a vital part of no. the industry. And if, if you look at the stats, like 75% of snow contractors are, you know, as, as we call them, chucking a truck, that's 75% of snow contractors right there. Um, but they should be doing the right type of sites and the right type of work, or they should be subbing for honest companies who pay a fair price to do the type of work their truck's made to do. 
we need these guys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but but take the right type of sites and 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 don't make a bad name for for snow contractors, right? That's what we're looking right. for. Exactly. Yeah, they're definitely a spot for them. It's just you know a lot of them get lucky for many years, you know, with low yep. low snow totals. And, but yep. whatever. It's, yep. It is crap. It's, it's, a game, it's, it's a game we play. I mean, it, 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 it is. Like, everything's a gamble. So. Yeah. No, snow is shooting craps. Every oh, you know, yeah. you're good for a while, and then every every once in a while you crap out. <laughs> it's true. I like it. Hundred percent. Oh man. So then, uh, back to the snow markets type. Um, next type of market. You know. So we talked about uh, Northeast Mid Atlantic Lake Effect areas, Midwest and Great Plains. And you have your transitional markets. So these are going to be like your St. Louis, Missouri's, your Cincinnati, Ohio's, um, you know, Southern Illinois, like th- these areas that they always, they always get some snow or typically get some snow, but it's, it's usually less than 20 inches mm-hmm. and they rarely get these totally game breaking type events. I'm not saying never, but places like Cincinnati that, you know, get a, a 10 plus inch event only once every 25 years, there's just no practical way to equip yourself for those. So you're just yeah. going to live with the fact that, that you're going to be a little bit crippled during those events. And and that's why the pricing is what was it, what it is in those markets. So in a transitional market, um, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, some of these numbers I'm going to talk about in a minute here, like they're not applicable. If I'm saying you need a loader per 10 acres uh, uh, in the Midwest or Mid-Atlantic or Northeast, you probably only need one loader per 25 acres in that transitional market because your typical event is an inch of slush, two inches of, of heavy snow, um, no blowing snow, and, and very few blizzards or large snow events. So, gotcha. And then the last, the last type are the, are the crazy ones, and those are the ones that are below the snow belt. So um, many people have gotten involved the last couple of years. We've had these massive snow and ice storms come through Texas, Oklahoma, um, I think parts of Alabama, just crazy places that don't normally see snow. Um, there's really no world in which you can properly uh, prepare to, to do snow in those markets. Because if you were to own the iron to do that snow, unless you own quarries or something, like there's there's no way to keep that iron busy because you'll go 10 years in a row without snow. Yep. yep. Um, so these, yep. these are always going to be challenging markets and it's a very low percentage of our listeners anyway, but um, those markets exist. So I figured I'd mention them. And I know there's a lot of guys from Minnesota and the Midwest that made a lot of money plowing in Texas and Oklahoma the last couple of years. So, uh, yes, they did. It definitely does happen. Um, that was a good time. <laughs> did you go down there, Jeremy? I was, uh, yeah, I, I was going to go and help Mitchell and then I end up, and then I was going to go to Texas. We end up going to Little Rock, Arkansas. We did. Okay. We did 13 Walmarts with, with uh, four pickups. Wow. So just curious, so like on those Walmart sites, was there someone hired who didn't perform or or was there just no one hired? They had somebody hired, but they yeah, obviously like you just said, they they're not set up for anything. I mean, I got I got videos of like one guy was in an open cab tractor with like a box blade. We showed up there and he's like, Thank God, I've been on this thing for two days. <laughs> and he oh, was man. just he was from Michigan, so he Kind of knew what he was doing, but he was as soon as we got there, he left. Uh, oh. One other place, there's an open backhoe at this other Walmart we showed up at, and as soon as we rolled in, he disappeared. Like they didn't know what they didn't know what they were doing, and but yeah, you didn't see us obviously a snowplow or only snowplows we saw in the state were ours that we had. I mean, we didn't see anything in the state. Wow, but it was we had a. I mean, 
it was fun. I mean, it was kind of, I mean, especially down there, you just, we just put the snow wherever the heck we wanted and yep. kept moving. Was, We're going to be was, gone in a couple of days anyway, right? Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. If I would have, we would have more, I mean, we could have planned for it. You could have really cleaned house down there. You could have brought right. some loaders down because I had so many calls of, I was like, I can't, we can't handle it. I mean, we barely could handle Walmarts. It was, right. uh, it was a blast, though. I'd do it again. I'd go tonight. <laughs> I, I've heard that from people that it was a good time, My, minus the lack of sleep. It was a good time. Um, but in, in those markets, you know, this this is also part of the, issue with the broker model is the brokers will sell a cluster of Walmart stores or whatever. We always pick on Walmart, but there's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of different um, stores and distribution centers that use these, these national brokers and they'll sell a package that includes these transitional and, and below the snow belt sites. These, these companies just assume that they're never going to have to do anything or, or they hope they're never going to have to do anything in these transitional and, and below the snow belt areas. And they just, hope to bankroll that money so that if they have to pay people in real snow markets a little bit more to perform better, they can just use that money. But then when they get smacked with uh, snow in unexpected areas and they get good snow in the areas where they did expect it, now they are just starting to screw people and not pay them because they don't have any money left because they didn't structure their contract right. I mean, it's talk about a game of craps. I feel like that's what brokers are, you know, minus the fact that they're taking 40% for just selling a portfolio, which is crazy. Um, They're rolling the dice on some of this stuff. Yeah, they are. It's not. They are. It's Russian roulette. Literally, yeah. it's uh, yeah. It, the brokerage stuff has to stop. It, it, at the very least, it has to be restructured because it, it's just not working. It's a broken model. It's it's broken for everybody but the broker. Yep. Doesn't work for the parent company. It definitely doesn't work for the contractors. So yep. why the hell are we still using them? <laughs> you know, why well, do we let them be involved? It's obviously broken for the brokers too. Like, look at look at the financial performance of like Brightview. Brightview is publicly traded. So you can see all that stuff. Like, and I know Brightview has some self-perform, but but a lot of their snow is subcontracted. They're even even though they are taking 30, 40, 50%, they're still not making money because the the model, it's not good for anyone. It's not good for their customers. It's not good for the subcontractors. And it's obviously not working well for them either because they're losing money every year and recapitalizing and a lot of these other brokers owned by PE firms are doing the same thing. They're recapitalizing um, every two or three years, and and they're not making cash flow. There's there's no cash flow there. So it it is a broken system for all parties involved, and there's going to have to be a reset at some point. I think the writing's on the wall that that's the case. Yep. Um, but it's going to take Snow Jobs Nation to stand up and and uh, make it happen sooner because <laughs> they, they they do have a lot of uh, they do have a lot of bankroll behind them to sustain. You know, Brightview's lost money for I don't know four, four, five years in a row. However many oh, years like it's been public. Like it's public. their job. Like it's yep. their job to lose money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like they're trying. <laughs> and not just losing a little bit of money; they're losing no, a, lot. a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah, yeah. it's and, crazy. And obviously, private equity owned. Uh, you know, organizations don't have the public financials, but you know, when you see them sell and resell and recapitalize, uh, there's a reason that's happening. It's not because they're crushing it. It's because they need to recapitalize because they don't have any dry powder in their system. So it's, it's, it's just a bad, bad deal. Getting off Mm. track here. All right, back on track guys. Go ahead. (laughs) So we've talked about this already a little bit, but obviously every, uh, every type of site, uh, and every contractor has their own risk tolerance level. 
Um, sometimes the bigger you gamble, the bigger you win, but it also is the bigger you lose. We've covered that a little bit. Um, generally speaking, retail sites are going to have a much higher risk tolerance again, because if someone can't get their freaking cup of coffee, it doesn't matter if, if 40 trucks full of, uh, food and, and, uh, you know, water and whatever gets stuck. Uh, it's a lot bigger deal, especially from an economic standpoint. Um, and then, you know, on the industrial, I'm sorry, on the medical side, you're going to be somewhere in between again, obviously, you know, it's a, if it's a hospital ambulances need to be able to get in and out, that's a pretty vital, literally life or death thing. Um, but generally speaking again, at, at nighttime, the traffic's limited. And if you keep the main lanes open to the emergency area, you're, you're, you're okay. But, um, so we talked about kind of how you're equipping a site, uh, from what I've seen across the industry, obviously, you know, you got plenty of your 30 to 40% guys who are just kind of surviving, hanging on by a thread. But I think probably what's more typical for non-broker run sites is going to be somewhere in that 65 to 80% range. Yep. Meaning that if you take what you ideally need to cover 100% of events over a 10 year, you know, uh, climatology report, um, you're going to, you're going to cover 65 to 80% of those events, uh, to a perfect level of service, leaving, you know, somewhere between, uh, 35 and, and 20% of the events where you're kind of scrapping and trying to make it work. Um, I think that's a pretty average number for our industry, at least again, from what I see, um, you could make an argument, you know, what the right number is, uh, in my mind, again, we talked about this, but you know, if you can get to that 90% range, 90 to 95% range, um, and clients are willing to pay for that, which again, if their business is vital, they should be, that's typically where it's going to be the best for the customer and the contractor. Um, but you know, economic times will help dictate some of that too, as the economy slows that, uh, price tolerance goes down and thus the level of service typically follows as the economy strong, we'll typically see higher price thresholds, um, and, uh, thus higher levels of service. But I don't know if you guys have seen it in your markets. Um, you know, but because I work with people in every market, I'm, I'm hearing it more this year than I, I ever have since I started in the equipment industry. Uh, people that are losing long, long time customers to lower price and not even to brokers, just to, to other local guys who are coming in cheaper. Um, you know, this year is one of the first years at Arsenal company. We actually had to go up to bid on some of our sites. There's a lot of sites that we just get renewed every year and, you know, we fortunately got them back, but, um, you know, it's a little nerve wracking. All of a sudden, it's like, oh boy! Oh yeah, you know, they're 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 bringing in uh, checking your price uh, out back office people to check pricing. Oh yeah, one of our, our our second biggest client. I mean, they brought in a new controller, and he's he's checking every line item of the budget, and you know, looking to see. And well, of course, he looks at snow last year. He's like, holy cow, we spent a lot on snow. Well, yeah, you know, it's a hundred inch winter. It's you got a hundred inches. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it was a, it was a per push site, so they there was like you know forty eight pushes last year that really added up. Wow. Um, but you know, fortunately, we got them all back. But what I'm hearing around the industry is that there's there's been quite a bit of turnover this year. And Jeremy, I don't know if you guys had that or if you guys are pretty locked in. We're pretty locked in. We didn't we didn't have much turnover, honestly. We obviously picked up we picked up a few and lost a couple, but nothing major. So nice. I think especially in the Northeast, um, again, because the snow totals were so low, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of value shopping going on, but you know, just, just thought it was worth mentioning. I talked to a lot of people and this, this year is definitely the most I've ever heard. Like, man, I thought for sure I had these things locked down and at the last second I, I didn't get the contract back. And 
sometimes there's an explanation, sometimes there's not. Um, but I, I've definitely seen it more more this year than I ever have, ever have before. So definitely interesting in the, note on that. In the areas of the Northeast with the most standard deviation, there's definitely shopping. There's definitely, you know, penny pinching. There's definitely low balling going on. Yep. Um, like I, I know Sean from Native Snow, New Jersey, was sending us a couple prices that that guys were giving sites that he was bidding on. He's like, I can't even get out of bed for this. Like, I mean, yep. what are these guys thinking? But that's right. that's what they're going to go with because they haven't had snow in two years. So the price is going to drop, even though the price of everything we're doing is going up. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, James, I innovated uh, that municipal stuff. James said they, that too. Yeah. Yeah. He had it, thought he had it all. And then the guy that got it's like doing for less than the guy did it last year. Was, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That guy lost money. <laughs> yeah. He said the guy that did it last year lost money. And these guys underbid him by like 50%. <laughs> like, yeah. That's just me? crazy. <laughs> like, why? Why even? Why do you want to work to lose money? I don't know. Well, not- and another another good example, and actually this is this ended up being a positive story. Um, I won't I won't say names out of sake of privacy, but one of my good clients I've worked with for many years, uh, his his biggest portfolio of of clients was up for renewal, um, and you know it, it's one of those portfolios that he he always has to put numbers in every year, but you know for for many many years they've got it back, and they they do reasonable increases, you know not. Not 20, 30, 40% increase. You're talking about two, three, four percent follow inflation, be be yep. fair and reasonable. Um, well, they brought in a new henchman this year to to save budget. And, you know, the guy came in literally two weeks ago, you know, two weeks before the snow season starts and said, Hey, I need you to I I want to renew you, but I need you to drop your price by 18%. Jesus. And he's like, uh, you know, so he called me, he's like, I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not dropping my price 18%, but what, you know, what, what should I say? And I said, well, what's your, what's been your increase the last three years? He's like, well, actually the last three years I've held the price, you know, because, um, I've been able to the, you know, we've been efficient, we've gained some efficiencies and even though inflation has been high, I've been able to hold my price. I said, okay, well, that's what you tell him. And you tell him you've already lowered your price by 18% because the last three years we've had four to 6% annual inflation. And that's pretty darn close to 18%. There you go. So he presented it that way, and he got the thing back. So I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, um, that's smart. It's a good approach. Smart. So I mean, yeah. but but then he said he looked at the uh, he looked at the uh, the Senchman guy's LinkedIn profile, and literally his bio says, "I average sixteen to eighteen percent savings for my clients." So oh, like, that's Jesus! Like his, it's like <laughs> so, his tagline. So that's right? just what he does to everybody. He just makes phone yeah. calls and say, "Drop your price eighteen <laughs> percent." Oh, okay. <laughs> Let me go get in my friggin' time machine. Jackass. Yeah. Pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, but then the last thing here, again, we've already alluded to it, but, um, you know, the, the contractors that we consider lowball or the contractors that are just accepting lowball pricing from brokers, they're typically equipping sites to 20 to, to 40 percent uh, of events. And it's not it's not always their fault. Um, maybe it's maybe they're a new guy. Maybe it's the only work they can get. Maybe they actually do have the right equipment, um, but they're spreading it out over five or six sites instead of one or two. Um but you know, with the way the broker model works, if they're taking forty percent, the math is pretty easy to show you. You're not going to be able to equip the site to eighty, ninety, one hundred percent capacity because you will lose money. Yep. Um, and, and it won't just be that you lose a little bit of money; you lose a lot of money. So that's uh, definitely a, a big issue in the industry. We gotta we gotta get that thing figured out. Oh yeah, that's ne- 
Next big factor, uh, I'm sorry, we kind of rambled on that part for a while, but next big factor on how to, you know, equip a site with the right iron or, or some of the factors you look at. Um, pretty obvious one, what's the complexity of the site? Um, is it a lot of open area or are there lots of obstacles? And then another thing is, are there a lot of snow storage areas or are they fairly scarce? And then how far away are they? I think the how far away are they is, is one that gets pretty overlooked. Um, you know, you'll see uh, a, a site that looks really easy to plow, but the customer, for whatever reason, either regulatory or preference, uh, forces you to push all the snow to one end of the property. If that's the case, you may as well double or triple the square footage of that site when you're allocating your, your equipment and pricing because pushing the snow, you know, pushing the snow 1,000 to, to 1,500 feet instead of having to push it 100 feet to the nearest snow storage area is, is, is a big difference because the oh, yeah. owner can only push so much. You know, it doesn't just keep piling up the whole 1,000 feet. Eventually, the thing's full and you're driving yep. another 1,000 feet with, with the load Whoa. that you've already had that whole time and just pushing the same snow that whole way. Whoa, are you saying a metal plus gets full? Because I, I yeah. never heard Artics of Arctics keep rolling forward. <laughs> Arctics keep rolling. I don't know. Stop. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> it, it is a big factor, though. Like it, And it's, again, it seems really obvious. But sometimes, especially when you're bidding a new site, you get blinded by the excitement of, you know, that, you know it's, a, oh, it's a 12 acre site and it actually pays good. And, you know, it's a seasonal and it's great. And then you get to, to start working and, and your production rates are half of what you expected and you start looking at it. And one of the most common reasons we see that is again, if the snow storage is limited or if it's extremely far away, um, even more so if that snow storage has to go around the corner, because that means you're oh, literally yeah. pushing the snow to a spot and then you're resetting and ramming it from the other direction. That is a major, major time suck. And again, I, in my opinion, if you have to do that, take your square footage and double it because that's how much longer it's going to take. Yep. Um, but I, Great I see point. so many guys just take a site and they measure it with a measuring tool and they say, okay, it's, it's six acres. I know that my six acre Walmart takes two hours. So this one's going to take two hours. And that one actually takes six because of the way the snow storage is. So just looking out for that stuff is, is extremely important. Yeah, that's a great point. Another thing really is going around corners and how long the pushes are that those are two things you really got to look at. Definitely. Is my is my connection okay? I keep uh, keep glitching out. You're, you're, Are we good? Your sound is all right. It's uh, you you get pixelated on the screen every once in a while, but your sound has been fine. My my storm team can can back me up in saying that our internet has been less than substandard the last couple of days, and we don't know why. We have a fiber connection; it should be great, but the last couple of days it's brutal. I've actually been you turning guys, my Wi-Fi off on my phone so that I can uh, load stuff. Is it that did you slow? Drill, did you so drill through it on. when you were drilling the well? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. You never know. <laughs> oh, shit. Did you, call, did you call before you dug? So that. <laughs> uh, I think call the well guy's drill. supposed to do I don't know. Maybe we did cut halfway through it. Yeah, you never know. Uh, what do they Sorry. call those? Multicolored so back to the. Uh... Go ahead. What's that? No, I said, what do they call that when you hit the uh, fiber optic lines? They call them multicolored roots because there's red oh, wires, yeah. yellow yes. wires, oh, yeah. green wires. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, all right, back I, I, to it. I apologize, guys. The the videos the videos so laggy. I can't tell when you're going to be talking because I don't have I don't have video. So no, I apologize all good. for the for the choppiness. No problem. Um, back to the uh, complexity of the site. So the snow storage areas, you know, abundant or scarce, near or far. Um, 
you know, we, we've seen even as much as, as uh, you know, an, an acre of open pavement can be cleared four to time, four to five times faster uh, than a broken up lot with, with curb islands and, and cars and, and everything else. So don't ever bid a site just based on square footage or based on just standard production rates because they don't exist. You have to know your site type. Like you can build production rates per site type and per situation, but to just go on Simon's website, because Simon's got some production rates that are accurate 10% of the time, right? And I'm not criticizing Simon saying that. It's just like production rates aren't a real thing because they're so different on every site. Exactly. Um, You know, we can set some. Yeah, exactly. So just be careful with that. I've seen guys, you know, look at a 40 acre site and say, oh, I looked it up on Simon. My 20 foot push box does 17 acres an hour. So that means I can plow that in, you know, two and a half hours with one loader and a push box. Like, well, no, because a mall has 400 curb islands and light poles and cars and pedestrians. And it's actually going to take five times that. Now, if it was a, you know, 40 acre rectangle with no obstacles, yeah, you could do it in two and a half hours. That is accurate, right? Um, it's not, it's not quite like mowing an open field with a lawnmower where you can just take speed times width and that's your production rate. It doesn't, doesn't work that way with snow, obviously. No. Yes, sir. Um, that being said, even though I just literally said production rates mean nothing, I'm going to give you some anyway because we get asked a lot. So I have them prepared. I'm going to preface this with you got to know all your stuff. Um, and I'm also giving ranges with the low range being – um, you know, the worst case scenario and the high range being more open space. Um, but none of these production rates are literally speed times width. So none of them are unrealistic, you know, football field style parking lots because that just doesn't exist very often. So, um, but I know guys like these production rates because that's what they want to hear. So I'm going I'm to give them to you anyway. So it sounds hypocritical, but I sounds got them. good. So typically with a plow truck, uh, plow truck with a, a extend, extension plow, scoop plow, or like a V plow. Um, you're going to do between 0.5 and 1.5 acres per hour. So again, there's a big range there. Your 0.5 is going to be, if you're going around more obstacles, your 1.5 is going to be more open space. Got it. Um, on a compact loader, so 10 to 14,000 pound wheel loader with a push box. So this is just a fixed push box. You're going to typically plow uh, between one and three acres per hour. And I guess I should say that this is based on two to four inches of snow. Um, no extenuating circumstances like ice or drifts or 10 inches of snow. This is just a, a, a basic milk toast style snow event. So one to three acres per hour there. Again, the one being maybe what you consider like a, a mall parking lot or a big box store parking lot, lots of obstacles. And the obstacles. three being more like an industrial site, um, you know, not working around trucks, not working around moving vehicles or forklifts, whatever else that's more open space. Mid-size wheel loader, 15 to 20,000 pounds with a push box. Uh, typically, you're going to be able to do between two and five acres per hour. So again, it's a huge range. Obviously, five is more than double of two, but that's because of the site type variance. Um, you know, one simple way to at least get a ballpark or get close on these production rates is to build an Excel spreadsheet like I have and basically have three different categories. You know, one category being a very easy lot to plow, one being a medium, one being a hard and you know kind of build in these production rates and get at least get an idea of, of how long these are going to take and then the last one is going to be a, a large wheel loader 21 to thirty thousand pounds even a little bit bigger perhaps with a push box and with that you're going to be able to cover between three and eight acres per hour in that two to four inch snowfall 
Um, now here's where my, my hydraulic wing plow commercial comes in um, because I have to get it in, right? So yep. Steve already alluded to it. Um, again, depending on the type of work, right? Speed this of work. Not 100% speed of the of time, but depending on the type of work. What's that? The speed of light. Is that what we're going to? <laughs> yes. 50 <laughs> times faster, guys. 50 <laughs> times faster with the hydraulic wing plow. It's not even close. Oh, shit. Uh, love it. Very funny. You guys are, you guys, I don't know why, I don't know why I come on here. You guys are, you guys are the worst. Have fun with it. Oh, man. Uh, realistically, okay. though, and, and I think uh, the Metal Plus Mafia will back me up on this. Um, on the right type of site, especially with lots of obstacles, when you compare a fixed push box to a hydraulic wing plow with a competent operator, yes, I know there's an asterisk there, we typically see one and a half to two and a half times our production rate um, on the same site if you were to put them side by side. Just depends who's plowing. Jeremy, not you plowing. Don't need to hear it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. I'm the freaking best. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm right. but what, I, what I will say is what, <laughs> yeah, nice. What I will say is what we see, um, where, where we see hydraulic wing plows make an exceptionally big difference is in an operation like what I have. So, Jeremy, much like you, we, we're not nearly as big, but we do we do all route work. So we don't have any dedicated uh, fleet to sites. None of our sites are big enough to dedicate fleet to. It's all route work going site to site to site. Um, most of it's uh, retail type work. We don't have enough industrial parks to do all industrial snow. I'd love to. We don't, we don't have enough here. Um, and for that type of work, you know, when we switched our fleet over seven years ago, we, we literally doubled our production. So we went from having twice as many loaders and trucks down to half as many doing the same route. Um, but that is probably going to be what you consider your, your best case perfect scenario. If you look at an alternative, like if you're on a 40 acre industrial distribution type site um, and you were to park four machines on that site, you're not going to probably be able to cut down to two with hydraulic wing plows because again, these are dedicated, um, dedicated fleets to the site. Um, you need some redundancy there, uh, for when you get those big nor'easter or, or, uh, lake effect or, you know, high wind type events. Um, and also it's just, you know, it's a big open site. So push boxes on a big open site have similar efficiencies to hydraulic wing plows where the hydraulic wing plows really shine is when you're working along curb lines around obstacles, um, trying to contain snow in a back drag and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. typically on a big site like that, like a 40 acre site, you might go down from four loaders to three. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe two of them have push boxes and one has a uh, hydraulic wing plow, or maybe you do two hydraulic wing plows and one push box, but it all depends on the site. Uh, you know, punchline there is, is there's always going to be some efficiency gain with a plow that can angle and contain, um, but it just depends on the type of site that's going to dictate how much efficiency is actually gained. Very cool. Two and a half times. That's interesting. So a few more stats. That's, yeah. So a few more stats. That's again, what the 80 these, these come from. Uh, what's that? That's what the 80 footer. <laughs> two and a yeah, half times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 80 foot metal plus. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we got about a half right. a second lag right now. Uh, so go ahead, Jordan. Keep rolling. Yeah, the lag is, lag is pretty bad. Yeah, almost done here. Almost done. Um, so a few more stats. Again, I think guys really like stats. So 
you know, this yeah. is stuff that, that we've derived from customers we work with. They've been doing these type of sites for a long time. So what we see in the, in the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, Upper Midwest and Lake Effect markets is that on an industrial distribution type site, we'll see one iron, heavy iron asset per 10 to 13 acres. So if you have, again, a 40 acre site, you're going to have between three and four pieces of heavy, heavy iron on that site to properly service to that 90th percent. Um, yet you will drive through uh, those areas and you'll see a 40 acre site with two machines on it. Can you do it? Sometimes yes. Sometimes you're going to fail. It just, you know, it's, it's all about that risk tolerance. And if you want to risk your, uh, your long-term reputation or not, mm-hmm. uh, on, on, uh, retail and route type work, uh, we typically will see one iron asset per 18 to 20 acres. So like we talked about earlier, it's like one and a half to two X, um, that of, of industrial and, and manufacturing. And then on medical, we're going to be right in the middle between 14 and 18 acres per piece of heavy iron. Um, so again, these are, these are in the uh, higher snow markets uh, in those transitional markets and markets below the snow belt. You're probably going to see three to four times the acreage covered per piece iron. And again, that's because the risk of actually getting an event where you exceed the needs of that amount of iron is, is pretty low. And if you were to over-equip that site for that 1% of the time when they get more than that, you're just not going to be cost-effective for the customer. Gotcha. That all makes sense? Or is that yep. confusing? Mm-hmm. No, no, 100%. <laughs> Good. I have way too much iron per acre. <laughs> do you to thin it out. Do you know, yeah, do you know do. what your ratios are? Uh, right now, from what you were just saying, I'm about mm-hmm. – well, I mean, it's a skid, but I'm doing a skid every three to four acres. I have a skid, another skid. Sure. Sure. And and I guess I should clarify, I'm referencing, I'm not including skid loaders or trucks yeah, in these I numbers. Know. These are um, loaders. These are uh, going to, these are going to be uh, compact wheel loaders or larger. So um, when I say one piece of iron, that doesn't mean you can take a 40 acre site and put four Cat 906s on it. It means you're probably going to take that site and put two heavy loaders and, and two compacts on it to, you know, to divide up the work between the strengths of those pieces of equipment. Right. And that's actually the next topic. So that's a good segue. Perfect. So then asset types. Sorry, the lag is real bad, guys. I apologize. Good. Keep rolling. Still there? Yep. Yeah, All right. We're good. So then asset types on the sites. Um so we want to obviously size the equipment to the sites. It doesn't make any sense to bring in a 35,000 pound loader with a 20 foot push box into a strip mall. There's, there's really no reason for that. So typically on sites under two acres, uh, compact loaders, skid loaders, and trucks will be sufficient. Obviously the caveat to that is if we're doing a route work with 40 of those two acre sites, um, we're probably not going to try to tackle that with just trucks and a couple skid loaders. Um, but it, you know, if you're just doing a couple of those two, two acre type lots, those types of machines are perfectly sufficient sites from two to five, uh, you'll typically be looking at multiple compacts, uh, maybe supplemented with a truck. So that's going to be your big box stores, um, or, or small or uh, medium size, uh, strip malls, that kind of thing. And then on sites over five acres, we typically will suggest, uh, strategically pairing a compact, uh, with heavy equipment. Um, compact does detail work like curb lines, back dragging, and the large equipment does the bulk pushing and stacking. So that's again, where we talk about putting the right type of attachment on, you know, if, if you have a perfect situation where all your big loader is doing is, is 
pushing back lanes into piles in a straight line. Um, there's really no great benefit to a hydraulic wing plow in that situation. If you're looking for your big loader to do curb line work, cutout work, back dragging, then there's a lot of benefit to having a hydraulic wing plow on that, on that type of site. Uh, furthermore, it doesn't make a lot of sense to only put a compact machine um, uh, on a site with long pushes uh, to snow storage areas. Anyone that's tried to push snow, you know, five, six, seven hundred feet uh, with a with a twelve thousand pound compact wheel loader knows that you're creeping at about two miles an hour by the time you get to the pile. It's really <laughs> inefficient. So again, nope. try to reserve those machines for shorter pushes and detail work. Um, and typically, what we see is that by pairing compacts and uh, uh, heavier machines together, you can two x your efficiency gains regardless of the type of attachment you know, just by having the right combo. Unless you're me pushing against the metal plus at Cabela's in o- Oatana. <laughs> yeah, unless it's that. Uh, it keeps Always going the back asterisk. to the Super Bowl. Keeps going back to the Cabela's Super Bowl. <laughs> Any chance I get. Is that what it was? Uh, yeah. Was it, was it during the Super Bowl? No, uh, it was just no. Arctic versus Metal Plus, and Jeremy smoked them with a, the 80-foot yeah. Metal Plus with a 10-foot Arctic. Got it. No, just guy was so scared. He was so Wouldn't scared. Wouldn't come near him. No, I. <laughs> I was just doing circles around him. How, yeah. how big of a site is that Cabela's there? That's a pretty big site. 15, I don't know, twenty acres, something like that. Yeah, it's at least that. That that's you've been by there, I'm sure, a hundred times. But I don't know. I've only been a whole ton a few times. So going tomorrow, right? All right. Last go thing, promise. Go last thing, and and. And I, again, I apologize. This lag is just not. Don't worry about it. On this many times, never had lag like this. Makes it makes All it real good. tough to uh, tell if you guys are trying to talk or not. I apologize. All um, good. Last thing then is you know we've talked about all the ways that we can plan our our fleet for sites or routes, um, but one of the most common mistakes we we see made in snow bidding or estimating is not properly allocating the costs of those machines and attachments uh, to the work being estimated, yeah. and. Honestly, a lot of this has to do with the fact that the cost of ownership um, of a machine is not a direct cost. So, you know, it's, it's not like unless you're renting it, you know, it, it's the cost of ownership is somewhat unknown because you don't exactly know how much depreciation you're going to incur. You don't know how many repairs you're going to have. You probably don't even know exactly how long you're going to own it. Are there some ways that you can plan this stuff? Yes, but a lot of people don't know or understand how to do that. Um, so that's kind of what I'm going to talk through real quickly here to kind of wrap this all up. So obviously a simple one, if you guys, you know, if, if you guys out there are renting, um, your attachments and your loaders, then you simply allocate the lease costs, uh, into the estimate plus, plus margin. Um, if you're purchasing or financing the attachments, what we'll typically suggest, and this is just a rule of thumb, obviously you got to know your business and know what works in your business, but what we'll typically recommend is dividing the cash price or some of the payments if you're financing um, between uh, six and eight. So if you know if it's three hundred thousand divided by six, fifty thousand bucks a year. Um, and you know if you're putting on higher hours or, or sorry, if you're putting on lower hours, then you divide by eight. Um, depending on the amount of snow you get in your market, how many hours per year you're putting on, and that's going to be the amount that you should be allocating annually to that site plus your margin. So. You know, again, someone might look at a $300,000 loader and plow 
and they look at their payments because they got the thing on, you know, 96 month cap financing going, it's only, you know, 2,200 bucks a month. So I'm going to charge 2,200 bucks a month. And then, and then at the end of that 96 months of financing, they find out that they've actually gone way backwards because uh, the, the, the sum of their payments over that period of time, um, you know, and the, the amount of repairs they've had on the machine and then the depreciation recognized on the machine ends up being more than they've been allocating. So it actually happens way more often than you might realize is, is guys, it's not even that they're, they're, I don't know how to say it exactly, but they, they don't know they're losing money until they go to flip their assets and, and buy new ones. And then they realize that the entire time they've been under allocating um, uh, budget for their iron. Now, I will say that there's been an, an anomaly the last three years. Uh, you know, we talked about it on the last episode, actually, that I was on. Yep. Um, it's absolutely crazy that a machine you bought three to five years ago is selling for, for what you paid or more than you paid for it. So this is not normal. And if you're going to bank on it being like this, uh, that's not a good practice. And honestly, you know, it's, again, it's just gambling. Like if you're going to bank on on machines appreciating in value, um, you, you're you're destined for a, a long term failure. You might have some short term success, but long term failure is more more likely. So try to allocate those costs again. If you divide by six to eight, that's typically going to make sure that you cover all of your costs of ownership, operation, and depreciation plus some margin. Um, and th those numbers might be higher than you realize. And if, if, if they are, that's good. Cause that probably is going to get you closer to a market rate. You know, when I look at some of the big successful companies, I'm sure companies like, like Glacier, Jeremy too, like you guys understand this stuff. You're properly allocating those, um, those non-fixed costs, those sort of, uh, semi unknown costs, and you're allocating them properly in a way where you're actually ensuring that you're not only covering the iron, but you're also making a margin on the fact that you're owning it and taking risk as a business owner. So really important to look at it that way. Um, and then also the last thing is just recognizing that different brands have different resale value. So, you know, I, I know, uh, previous episode, we're kind of ragging on how expensive some of this stuff is getting. Um, and, and while I would agree, some of the stuff is really gone up, you know, cat's gone up 40% in three years. John Deere is probably not far behind. Um, you know, John Deere and cat specifically continue to have the highest resale value. And the reason for that is because John Deere and cat are the most common branded machines used in industries that are much, much, much larger than snow. Yep. Like, you know, we, we look at all these guys with all this iron in the snow industry and think like, man, there's so many loaders in the snow industry. The amount of loaders in the snow industry is less than 1% of the U.S. market share for heavy equipment loaders compared to construction, um, ag, uh, you know, garbage dumps, all that kind of stuff. Like those industries are using literally 99 times more of those same machines as we are in snow. Oh, yeah. So when you go to flip these machines, especially of those brands, you're going to get the best value and sell them most quickly if you're running those brands. So, you know, when we talk about resale value, it's not just because of the quality of the build. I'm sure that XCMG loader I bought is going to be a perfectly fine machine. But when I go to try to sell it in three to five years, it's not going to be worth anything. It's probably going to be worth fifteen to $20,000, right? And a comparable cat would probably still be worth one hundred and fifty to one hundred sixty. dollars So there's, there's definitely an equation there. Um, that has to be factored in. But again, as long as you're covering your cost of ownership plus margin during the course of ownership, who cares if you flip it for 20 grand because you've already covered it and you made, made your money. Up. Yep. You made your money. And that is the end of my spiel. Nice. Like 
just in time for my uh, internet to speed up because now you guys are not choppy anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's always yeah. the way it is. That's always the way it goes. Yeah, that's the problem with these podcasts is you're you're very dependent on forces outside your control, the internet and Wi-Fi and all that good stuff that I know nothing about. But uh, yeah, I would figure you have your own mobile hotspot, Jordan. Like such, sure, you know, I guess. such an important guy. You got to be followed around by your own cloud or <laughs> your own mobile hotspot, whatever. Well, the, uh, the crazy thing is, we we have a literally have a dedicated commercial fiber connection, meaning that we don't share the connection with anyone. Yep. There's no bandwidth sharing. We have a dedicated IP address. Like it should be the most reliable connection on earth. Um, but but the the past couple of days, I don't know. I don't know if the company that provides the signals having some technical difficulties or what but it's just been extremely slow can't even load instagram videos without turning the wi-fi off so there's something something wrong does it start with a v and end in horizon nope because they've been having major problems by me okay no One it's a local company called metronet okay. um, you know they we're, we're our shop here is rural so it's uh it's hard to get good internet we've always had kind of crappy internet service and when fiber came came through our front ditch we got pretty excited but it's uh yeah it's not been great this week during peak season of all places ah, it's all good that's what editing is for we'll uh we'll take out some of those pauses and stuff but it's all good that was a that was a lot of knowledge in uh in one hour yeah. that was that was really good hopefully really it wasn't good. too much I, it I, wasn't after... no i think that's i mean i think that's the typical for guys that are interested in learning about that, I think that's a typical, you know, two to three listen, you know, guys will listen to it more than once and they'll, uh, you know, they'll start learning what part they needed to listen to and what comes at what part of the show and, and they'll go back over it like they always do. I think that was a perfect, perfect amount and perfect mix of information to get. And I, I mean, I, Beautiful. I really, I can't dispute the two and a half time, you know, production bump by using a hydraulic wing plow. Cause I've never really tried one outside that outside that one time where I demoed one for an hour. So I may have to try right. it. Let me, I gotta, I gotta put an end to this or well, uh, put an end to it or, or say, all right, yeah, I gotta give you credit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired of hearing it. I'm tired of hearing David from element. Oh, oh metal plus metal plus. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know. He, he called me the other day, yeah. like I'm at the Arctic. So. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, he's I tired told him he, he, he was talking to Christian about a metal plus. I said, "Well, make sure if you get this Arctic, you let me let me break it to Christian. I'll I'll tell him." He's uh he's tired. Your boy, of your boy, Christian. <laughs> I said, "Make sure you let him know Jeremy talked into an Arctic." So. <laughs> Nice. Oh, that's great. That's great. All right. You guys got anything else? Mm-hmm. No. Nope. I'm all talked out. All right. All right. Well, then we'll wrap it. Jordan, as always, man, thank you so much. That was uh, another another good one for information. That it, I oh, think, yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, that that's a lot of input in, in a short time. A lot of good knowledge for guys. I think they're going to eat that up, especially if they're – that's great for guys that are maybe one or two or three trucks and are starting to look to scale into equipment. That's uh, pretty much all the information yep. they would need to uh, get their basics down. So that's really I good. I Absolutely. Go, go shadow Jordan for a couple of years and get all his You knowledge. do? Yeah, just so I can learn. Learn from the better. I don't know about that. <laughs> the, 
the uh, Jedi. Yeah, right. <laughs> Jedi, yeah. We'll come. The snow Jedi. We'll from you guys. I'm, I'm just trying to learn from Steve. Our, our the Steve, not not you, Steve, but the other the Steve oh, we just hired me. at Storm. I mean that that dude. Yeah. Much yeah, like he's Jeremy, got a lot of knowledge. You know, I keep hearing decades him. of experience. Actually, he's yeah, over I three decades of experience. He's he's a cool dude. Yeah, yeah. A, I keep hearing star. about him. Very yeah. knowledgeable guy. A awesome. lot of experience in that market. Everybody from Minnesota talks about him. So that was a that was a nice pickup for you. For Storm, yeah. That well, was a, and, that was and honestly, it, it it goes exactly in line with what we just talked about. Like one of the reasons we do well at Storm is because we're snow guys, and and you know Steve has never done sales in his life. Um, but he understands snow and he understands relationships and that's all it takes to be good at what we do. I mean, amen. You know, when Christian came on board, he had, he had never sold a snowplow before, but he understands relationships and understands, um, you know, what's important and, and not to be a slimy sales guy. And that's, that's what it takes. You know, we just oh, want to help Christian. people out. Christian's so. the best. He's the best. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> I love Christian. He's great. Awesome. Awesome yeah, team. We your have, whole team yeah, is no, great. Steve on our yeah, team is pretty cool. Great team. Yeah, pretty awesome. Great team. Your whole team is great. It's uh, it's very much a family. It's uh, They're all one guy's like, I don't want to say better than the next, but they're all equally awesome. So, you know, they all, they're all very good people. Very fun to hang out with. It's always a good time when you're around the storm crew. Definitely. All right. Jay, you got anything else, bud? No, no, I'm just, yeah, it was a great show. And yeah, Jordan's always full of great knowledge and I, I just like to soak it up. So soak it in, drink soak it in. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I got to keep learning, man. That's it. You're always learning. If you're not learning, you're dead. That's it. Yep. But, all right. Well, we're going to cut it then there. That's going to do it for Dustings 15. As always, we want to thank Jordan for joining us and dropping all that industry knowledge on us. Uh, that's a lot of equipment knowledge right there, the ins and outs, and hopefully that helped a lot of guys. Uh, we'll be back with you guys on Monday with Mike and Jake from ODP. That's right, Outdoor Pride. Uh, it's about time we get those guys on. Mike's been uh, a frequent contributor to the show, doing a lot of dustings for us, doing uh, a webinar the other night that was awesome on uh, mapping. So uh, it's about time we get the uh, Outdoor Pride guys on. So we're going to have them on with us Monday, so make sure you tune in for that. Everybody keep clicking the subscribe and like button on whatever platform you're listening to it on, and everybody visit snowjobsnationstore.com and get your merch. It is there. We're adding items every day. Everybody have a great weekend. Be safe. Keep pushing. Keep pushing.